You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I am Subi. We got Taylor back in the saddle. Good to have you back, TD. We are brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day is Isaiah Brockington. Yes, the former Iowa State man. Hat to hat tip, Iowa State. Going to be a lot of clones talk today, Taylor. Going to be a lot of Cyclones talk on the podcast. A lot of rain and weather going on throughout the entire country, so it's fitting in that respect. But we were able to sit down with a staff member, one of the assistant coaches for the Cyclones today. Uh, Very excited to bring you that interview. We're going to talk everything from their incredible defense to the surge that they've had the last couple of weeks and then just playing in the Big 12. But to kick us off, we have to go with Isaiah Brockington as our college hooper of the day. He is currently on the Birmingham. You'll love this, Taylor. The G. Do you know what the G League affiliate of the Pelicans is? Do you know what the team name is? Birmingham what? The Barons? No, not a bad guess. Is that it's a AAA Bur- team? It could be. It could be. So I'll give you partial credit. But I'll give you one more guess, too, if you want. It is the Birmingham Barons uh, who are double A. Excuse me. Um, the Braves? They are for, they're for the um, uh, White Sox. Oh, whoops. Maybe yeah. I should have known yeah. that. Give me one although, more guess. Although for... Birmingham Braves sounds way better than the Chicago White Sox. Well, just yeah. geographically, yeah. too. Um, Birmingham's G League team. Mm. Pelican's G League team, but or, it's in yeah. Birmingham. The Rough Riders. I don't know. Not, the, not a bad guess either. It's the Birmingham Squadron. Uh, squad. <laughs> yes. Squad. Brick Squad. Brockington Squad. <laughs> Isaiah Brockington plays for them. Uh, he is your college hooper of the day. Make sure to check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and also follow me at CBB Theater to find out where the feet is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Dammer. Let's open the curtains. back taylor you sound much better thank you joe joe barry is gone i know that's thank great you. for you oh, <laughs> yes of course um it's good to be back we have an awesome episode though man i i know unfortunately you weren't able to join it but we were able to corral jr blount uh, from iowa state jr blount assistant coach for the cyclones by way of Loyola, Chicago, I don't know how much research you did on him, Taylor, but he's got a really cool journey. He's another young and up-and-coming 
coach who has been exposed to winning. He laid the foundation for what we know Loyola Chicago basketball to be today from like 05 to 09. He was at Drake. We talked a little Matt Gatons, who's been on the program. Drake's a winning program. Now he's at Iowa State. Taylor, did you know that in Steve Prom's last year at Iowa State, they only won two games, and then the Otzelberger regime came, and Jared Blount was part of that. You see what they're doing now. Yeah, no. I mean, this guy has a great history. Um, like you said, Loyola Chicago also coached at Colorado State. Um, I think one of the stats about him is they signed their highest ranked recruiting class ever while he was at Colorado state. Um, so it's, you've been doing great, man. I, I I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm the person who's out here grinding, trying to get a bunch of these interviews, but, um, you got, you've really hit it out of the park with a lot of these interviews. And what's cool about all of the interviews that you've been able to corral here is that it's a good, uh, point or good proving point to how small really, college basketball world the coaching world is because we said of all... that too that's the oh really part. perfect yeah. perfect yeah so see look okay maybe i was there you know so no i mean yeah. just it, it it i talk about this with um uh, with breweries all the time everyone knows i'm a beer person right and how even though a city as big as phoenix five million plus people every person that works or like runs a brewery knows each other and the college basketball world seems to be the same way where at some point in time all of these guys either played coached flip that you know coach for a player played for a coach worked together worked apart we're at the same event whatever but they all know each other it's like two degrees of separation at most to to a lot of these guys and i think that's really cool i think it goes to show why a lot of us like college basketball because it's different from the nba uh in, in that regard and um just it's kind of uh not only are the players growing right but these interviews help show us how the coaches are are, are learning and growing uh, almost just as much, if not more, just given the amount of time that they are around uh, than the players are. So I think that's a really cool factor in a lot of these interviews, especially because we've gotten a lot of the young and up and comers here in the college basketball coaching world. It's definitely important to highlight them. And, and you hit the nail on the head, Taylor, as it relates to the college basketball space being it's huge, but it's also small. I mean, uh, Mitch, Mitch Cole from Sanford last episode was a perfect example. He was talking about how, he saw a young kid in Bucky McMillan. Bucky McMillan's now the head coach at Samford, and that's whose staff he's on. And then he was talking about Wes Flanagan. Wes Flanagan's on staff, uh, I think, either at uh, Ole Miss. Ole Miss, excuse me, because Alan Flanagan is at Ole Miss. So his son. Uh, so it's just very, very interesting and very neat uh, to see there. Well, and you go all the way back even to the Burgo interview last week. You know, it, it kind of also shows that these guys can kind of come from anywhere that you might know, <laughs> quite literally might know the next great college basketball assistant. You know, you grew up in the same area as Burgo and were friends with his brother, right? I coached Burgo. That was it. Oh, that's right. That's right. I well, actually maybe, don't know anyone else in the Burgo Master family. Maybe you, maybe you have some untapped, maybe you're the next up and comer. I mean, as we reference all the time, you've played and dominated a national champion in, in on the court. And then now you're also coaching SEC favorite now uh, assistant coaches. I feel like maybe you are the seminal point on a lot of these people's success. True or false? True. Taylor, there is a job opening very close by to me at DePaul. Wow. Are Do you throw my name in there? I don't think I could be worse than Stubblefield. We might be talking about this later in the episode. Just throwing that out there. Love the foreshadowing. Why not? Why not? I mean, it's a st is it 
is DePaul is DePaul. Dude, private? it's only like a half half mile mile away from me. Is it private or public though? I have no idea. I because public believe. public they got to open it up, man. Like you <laughs> might as well just toss your name and they're like, listen, here's the five best episodes from my podcast. Act like I don't know what I'm doing. I might have to bring back our our defensive identity and the strategy against Alex Oriaki when we were in sixth grade. Unfortunately, there was no shot clock then, and that was pretty much what we did was just kill the ball. And there is a shot clock in college basketball, but let them do the research on, on so, that. I always love these college interviews, right? Because they aren't any longer than like a normal job interview. Yeah. You know, you'll get a report where it's like, you know, Arizona's uh, interviewed so-and-so for their coaching position. And then like an hour later, it'll be like, Arizona has wrapped up their interview. And it's like, yeah. okay, so what are you, there isn't, there's no way they're talking about like what kind of offense are you going to run? What kind of defense you're going to run? Our podcasts last longer than half of these interviews do. And so I always think that's funny that Sub. You've got time on Zoom. You're professional on the microphone. Maybe, maybe that's all you need to get at least your foot in the door here to the next coach of DePaul. Let me throw my hat in the ring. But uh, back to J.R. Blount. It was a lot of fun <laughs> uh, chat. An actual head, or excuse me, an actual assistant coach who very well could be a head coach in his future would not shock me whatsoever. But uh, credit to him and all the success he's having. And it was a lot of fun. We're going to bring that episode to you shortly, or excuse me, that interview to you shortly. Taylor, very quickly before we get to that, quick thoughts on Ed Cooley's return. I think that's the biggest thats the biggest item and biggest uh, headline coming into this weekend. Cooley back in Providence. Quick thoughts there. Uh, I mean, the crowd is going to be absurd, right? I mean, what's the, what's the expectation on your end? Like, is this a, is, is all going to be booze? Is there any, yes. anyone clapping? Is going to be no. anyone clapping? Yeah, no, it's going to be all, all booze. And they're going to get smoked when she's, I would, I would think maybe not smoked, yes. but yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, they will. So there, I guess there are my thoughts. Uh, it's going to be a bad day for Ed Cooley, I guess. Uh, I, do you see it going any other way other than that? Can't well, okay, so let me, let me retract that. Let me retract that. I don't know if they're going to get smoked because okay. Providence without Bryce Hopkins doesn't look sure. all that great. Although they did destroy DePaul. That was double field last game. But yeah, I mean, from, from a crowd perspective, from a reception perspective, it is not going to be warm whatsoever. Obviously, I hope Providence fans don't take it to ugly levels as it relates to like throwing things or calling him names. Uh, I'm sure you know what I'm referencing in that respect, uh, but just keep it to booze, yell, scream. That's fine. Just don't endanger any players or him with physical or, you know, nasty taunts uh, as it relates to the game. I think Providence will win. Georgetown just got truly embarrassed Maybe that'll be a rallying cry for Georgetown, though. Like their their leader is going into a place that hates him now. You just got mollywopped. Cooley's challenging you. We'll see. But I think Providence is is going to handle them just fine. And um, it's going to be a rough, rough experience, though, for Ed Cooley. I know that. Yeah, if they're getting just like you said, straight destroyed at home to like Butler. They're not gonna go. They're not gonna go on the road. And they do will not win. No, no, no. I mean, 
Yeah, it'd be around. Let's put it this way: rallying cries work really well when your team's actually like, yeah, oh, decent. It doesn't. It doesn't work that well when your team's not good. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of fu coolies chance. I can guarantee it. So we'll see how we'll see how that plays out. Um, very interested. Actually, the crier shout out to him. They're hosting a live show at the Black Sheep. I think that's in Providence. But any listeners that also listen to him, go out support him. Uh, Friday night, I think at 7 p.m. Eastern, they're hosting their live show. Very proud of the crier. He's doing awesome stuff, uh, and I'm sure they will be nice and lubed up for Saturday's game. So hopefully they're not too hungover from Friday. Uh, so this game's on Fox. Do we get uh, Gus for this? Most likely, right? Oh, that that makes it even better. Then. I'm assuming we're following them then, right? Arizona, Oregon's on Fox. I know that. Yeah, there might be multiple games on Fox then. Even before that, um, even before the Arizona game, because yeah. I think the Arizona game's in the afternoon, right? And this is in the morning, five thirty Eastern, I think. Yeah, so there's got to be a middle game in there somewhere because this game's, yeah. So cool, good for us. We got a lot of Big lot going hoop. on. <laughs> yeah, a lot going on. Sweet. Big I'll try and find what. Oh, it's Indiana, Illinois. Is is that the middle game? So. That's kind of a stink sandwich. Honestly, Arizona, Oregon is going to be the best game of those three. Hopefully, we see three blowouts. Uh, yeah, by the home teams, or no, 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 by uh, half teams. half, <laughs> or half <laughs> right. half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. We'll see how the trend goes. Um, but big, big game. Obviously, this is one that the entire college basketball space and college basketball landscape has circled on their calendars, and we're going to get it here soon enough. But. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get to our interview with J.R. Blount. It was a lot of fun. I think you're going to really enjoy it, especially if you're an Iowa State fan. Uh, there's a lot of things to be encouraged about. So plug those headphones in. Enjoy our interview here with Iowa State assistant coach J.R. Blount. All right. We are so lucky to be joined by a former three-year captain for the Loyola Chicago Ramblers, a man who was twice named the Ramblers team MVP, a coach who's been integral in Iowa State's success under TJ Otzelberger. We welcome Iowa State assistant coach J.R. Blount. J.R., what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate you having me. All, all good up here. It's just a little cold in name, so getting used to that. I'm in Chicago, that. man. I'm I know, in Chicago. Man. Hey, hey, it's we've been today was the first day over that was not negative. So it was like, hey, this is like summer out here. You're a Milwaukee guy, though, and you've been oh, yeah, all, all around. You're okay, right? I'm good. You know, I, I spent those four years in in Colorado and got spoiled because it was 300 days of sunshine. So that was, that was nice out there. Yeah, I'll tell you what. The cold last week, it kind of took my breath away. It's it, it's like that. You know what else took my breath away was uh, that that game in Fort Worth. Man, are you <laughs> are you able to breathe? Are you good now? <laughs> Yeah, man, we we made it um we made it entertaining. Um, but it was good, you know, guys showed some resolve and I mean it's hard to win on the road. So you, you kinda knew it was coming and you're like, all right, they're gonna make a run at some point. This is a, a, a NCAA tournament TCU team and, and and they came and luckily we only played for forty minutes and didn't have to play for forty one. It's tough to win it on the road. You're absolutely right. It's tougher to do that in the Big Twelve. And we're gonna yeah. get to your conference and what what a bear it is to play. But first, Jr., what I want to do is give our listeners a little bit of insight into your background. I think it's important that we highlight where you came from and how you've risen through the ranks. And it's been a really meteoric rise 
if I do say so myself. So JR, what I want you to do as best as possible, can you, uh, can you start us in your playing days? Okay. I'm very curious to know about your recruiting process and how you ended up at Loyola. Yeah. You know, um, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and it was really Loyola, uh, Milwaukee, um, Colgate, SMU, and uh, Mississippi State at the end. And, you know, I really thought I was going to go to Milwaukee. They were coming off a of Sweet 16 with Bruce Pearl. Uh, Bruce bounces, obviously, and goes to Tennessee. And um, just kind of Chicago, uh, I love the city, love the academic academic that was involved with Loyola and um, went there, loved the coaching staff and, and kind of fell in love with it. Did a few visits and it's an easy trip and you're still – you know, two hours away from home. So kind of starts there. Had a had a great career. Was was privileged to be able to to play a lot from, from day one and um still talk to all my college coaches, all my teammates. So it was it was a really special four years for me. Um then was able to go play overseas um in England and you know jumped into coaching uh, at division three Wisconsin Stevens Point where yeah, there's two good things that happened there. Um, the, the the second I would say is winning the national championship. The first is I met my wife, um, who was who was a player, uh, fifth year senior on, on the women's team, and they she had a historic career there. They went to Elite Eight twice, and um, you know from there you, you go to St. Leo University down in right outside of Tampa, Florida for for three years, and then to the Division One ranks, you Drake University. Uh, started as basketball operations for two years, bumped up to an assistant for two years. My last year was with Coach Medved at Colorado, who is now at Colorado State. We we go to Colorado State. I'm there for three and a half years and end up here at Iowa State. Um, TJ and I have known each other for probably since I was 14 years old. Um, TJ was is from Milwaukee, and he was at Chipola as I was coming up. Um, and my dad was our coach and TJ recruited probably two or three of my best friends, trying to get them down to Chipola. So he would call my, my house phone all the time. And, you know, we kind of started to formulate a relationship and just throughout the years, TJ was at UNLV, he was at Colorado State. So we had that. Um, but, you know, he, he's been integral in my career and helping me out and, and always been somebody that has, has always tried to help out, help out myself and other guys from, from the Milwaukee area. So, it was almost like a perfect fit when, when he got the job here and asked me to come along. That's amazing. That is, that is an amazing trajectory there. Uh, amazing that you found your wife as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is a serious question. Like when you meet and you decide to get married and then obviously having family, part of that equation is discussing goals, aspirations, especially in the coaching world. And so mm-hmm. you mentioned all the stops you've been to. At Wisconsin Stevens Point, did you envision like, hey, there's an there's probably a good chance where we're going to be bopping around, you know? Are we both okay with that? I suppose. Yeah, you know, I think you know, my wife is is awesome, and she was kind of doing her thing at the time too. She she's a she's a licensed clinical counselor and was getting her PhD. Um, so actually, when I was at St. Leo. She was getting her PhD at the University of Central Florida, so we were kind of still together in that in that journey and both trying to ascend our careers. And 
she she's 100% on board and, and holds it down at the house. We got three little girls, so um, it's organized chaos here. She's she's leading the charge. I'm just I'm just trying to stay out of the way and help everybody survive here. There you go. I think you're doing a great job, if I were to guess. Uh, Jer, let me let me unpack that answer again a little bit more. So you spent some time at Drake. Did you ever cross paths with Matt Gatons? I did. I was right after um, when we came. Matt was right after us. So, but I know Matt, and um, we actually share an agent. So uh, he, he's a, he's a good guy, and obviously they do good things at, at Iowa. And he was a great player as well. Matt's a great dude. He's been on this program, and so when I was when I saw that you had spent time at Drake, I was trying to piece together. The yeah. timelines. Uh, it's 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 funny, right? The college basketball community is huge, but it's oh, also yeah. a small world. Everyone knows everybody, man. It's, as long as you're as long as you're a good guy, you stay in all the good circles. That's right. So I, I want to talk a little bit more about your playing days at Loyola, there, Jr. So as we know Loyola today, Final Four program, uh, a program that is accustomed to winning here recently. During your days, do you feel and, and when you see them today, do you feel that personally and as a team, you guys really helped lay the the foundation for what folks see Loyola Chicago today? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I mean, I think you know, there's there's been so many good players to kind of go throughout that, and obviously the ascension to first the Missouri Valley and then out to the Atlantic Ten helps the name recognition. But you know, right after. Coach Weitzel, my coach, left. Coach Moser came in and, and started to elevate the program. And, um, you know, I was at Drake when they were in the Valley, and that was the year they went to the, the Final Four. And then, obviously, Coach, coach Valentine, Drew, Drew's one of my good friends in the business. I actually just talked to him yesterday uh, to try to help him with the, with the VCU scouts so, because we already played him. So sending him anything we have, but it, it's just awesome to see, you know, and I, and I think – as a as a community, a Loyola community, you want them to continue to be successful and keep rising and, and keep winning. And I follow them and watch all the games that I can. And you know, it, it's just special to see. Obviously, Coach Mo, Coach Moser's in the league right now, but it, it's something where when we see each other, you still have that respect because you know what they've been through. You know, they've been in those same those same offices, those same steps as the guys that you know I did it, and then the guys before me as well. Were you able to go to any of those tournament games? Man, it's crazy. I, I I still regret it to this day. And we had just got the job at Colorado State, like the same time it was happening. And, and Nico, Coach Medved, is even telling me, like, man, you need to go down there. You need to go down there. And I'm like, man, we we're we're trying to do workouts. We're trying to figure out who's on our roster. Like, we still need to add five guys. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. And now looking back on it, I'm like, man, I wish I would have just went to the Final Four. Like all my teammates were down there. It's like, but I, it was fun to watch on on the TV screen, and, and I was right there with them. So, Jr., keep me honest here in terms of your responsibilities, okay? And I'm, I want to relate this to your recruiting process. When you were approached by coaches and by administrations and by schools, what worked for you as a player? And in your recruiting now for Iowa State, if you dabble in that, again, keep me mm -hmm. honest there, is that personal experience of being recruited, does that work in your favor for when you approach young high school kids? I think definitely. I think it's very relevant to to kind of, you know, mix the two, if I so were to say. And, you know, you, you know how to relate to kids, especially kids from certain areas, uh, 
And as you as you grow older in this profession, you start to learn how to talk to different people of all different communities and all different socioeconomic backgrounds. But it, it is it's very you know you can talk about basketball. Most of the most of the young men that I'm recruiting, you know, after the initial stages, it's it's more about hey man, how's your day going? How's this person? How's that person? As opposed to like hey, you gotta come to Iowa State. It's gotta be Iowa State. Like it's like. That's not really it, you know, and, and that goes to show that's probably why I chose Loyola, because it was more about, hey, this this is a great basketball program. The, the basketball piece will be good for you. But they talked about the academics. They asked about my family. They talk about life after basketball and, and how they'll be with me. And they are those. Those are still those coaches and, and young and young men are were in my wedding and those coaches were at my wedding. And I still talk to those coaches and rely on them. And, that's what it's all about. And I think you do the same thing as you, as I go through the recruiting process is bringing young men in and, and helping them develop so that they can be leaders in the future for our, for our society. I think that's a brilliant response. And JR, allow me here for a second, because it evokes memories of me chatting with Xavier's assistant coach, David Miller, who is another tremendous up and coming rising star. And yeah. I asked him about player retention when there was the uh, the the Chris Steele, I think it was, uh, their former coach transitioning over yeah. to Sean Miller. And the first thing he said was, it's, it's not necessarily just strictly about basketball. I think they were trying to talk to Jack Nunji, who came over from yeah. Iowa State, I believe. Yeah. But he was from just basically, yeah. yeah. Oh, from Iowa, excuse me, excuse yeah. me. I, 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 that's the last time I will get that <laughs> mixed up, man. That's on me. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but he was basically saying, he was like, the, the way you approach these kids is you got to talk to them as family. You got, they got to know you care first, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think there's so much going on and there's so many people talking to them and in their ear, you know, you, you got to formulate a, an intimate relationship with these guys and they got to know you care and they got to know you love them and you have to tell them and it can't just be about workouts on the court or in the weight room. It's, it's got to be about more than that. It's got to be, the individual time you spend with them in your office, you know, talking to their parents, talking to them, talking to them about their girlfriend, whatever it may be, because at the end of the day, they can get good basketball from a lot of different coaches, a lot of different programs, a lot of can offer that, but it's about the, you know, the existential relationship that you're offering them off the court mainly. And I think that's important. So as you rise through the ranks here, JR, right? And I don't want this to sound like it's some corporate interview where I'm having fun right now, but <laughs> yeah. man, as you rise, th- I'm genuinely curious about this. As you rise through the ranks over the course of your coaching career, you personally, introspectively, what would you say some of your best strengths are? And you talked a little bit about being able to relate to some folks on the recruiting trail, whether it be, uh, you know, different aspects of recruiting. Sure. But what are some strengths that you think you're bringing to the table as a coach? And then what are some areas of opportunity that you think uh, can be improved upon? Yeah. You know, I think uh, first and foremost, I've kind of established myself as a good recruiter. I think I've been able to to bring in guys that have impacted winning um, guys that are great in the locker room, guys that are high character student athletes. Um, but also, you know, I think I've, you know, myself and Coach Kyle Green here orchestrated defense here at Iowa State that's kind of got gotten known and been nationally known. And, you know, we just get guys to play really hard. You know, I don't think it's a whole bunch of schemes. We're not doing any, anything tricky. Um, but I enjoy coaching defense. I enjoy, you know, being able to get stops and, and, and take pride in that. And, 
you know, off the court, I think it's, it's my ability to, to build relationships and have relationships with guys, whether, you know, you personally recruit them or, or you meet them when they first get there. But, you know, being able to establish those relationships and, and have guys want to come in and sit down in your office and not talk about basketball and just sit around and, and joke and, and spend that quality time. I think that's something special that not everybody can have and it has to be organic. Otherwise, I mean, these guys are 18 to 20, well now 23, 24 years old. So they got to they gotta want, they got to like you. You know, I think that's important. Like you got to be relatable. You have to be likable. And um, I still have that right now and I want to keep that going. And, you know, you want to continue to improve. I'm constantly trying to learn. Um, I, I feel like I'm on the best college basketball staff learning from these guys. And TJ is somebody that, it's constantly trying to give you more, trying to give you more autonomy and, and then challenging you to to bring your voice out. And I think that that's something that I've continued to get better at. And, um, you know, I, I'm I'm heavy on the defensive end, but, you know, I want to continue to learn more on the offensive side. I want to continue to, to sit in those meetings with those guys and, and constantly learn how, how the game is evolving. So never finished product, nowhere close to it, but, but definitely feel like I bring a lot of positive attributes that can help contribute to winning. You summed it up beautifully there because at every one of your stops, you talk about a Colorado State. You talk about a Drake. We've seen how good they are in their conference tournaments and in getting to the NCAA tournament. Iowa State, the resurrection and the turnaround during the Otzelberger era has been nothing short of remarkable. And we're going to get into all that. But I think it's very obvious, JR, that you leave a trail. Like you leave a program. Uh, better than when you found it for sure. And that is contributing to winning. So you talk about getting better. And when I look at you, you're cutting your teeth in the toughest conference in America. I'm okay with saying that I had some SEC folks on SEC's great, man. The big East, they're really good. The big 12 is such a, like, it's a gauntlet JR. There's no amount of words that can properly do it justice as someone who is on those sidelines. I'm going to hand the microphone and the floor over to you. What is it like playing in the big 12? Uh, you know, it's crazy. The, the first year, our first year coach, Daniel Robinson, who's one of my biggest mentors, the head coach at Cleveland state. Now, you know, we're going into it and I'm like, man, like, Dude, we got 18 games. Like, let's, and we were undefeated at the time. I'm like, man, 13 and five, you know, 14 and four. Like, let's, let's knock these dudes out. Like, and he's like, hey, man, you're trying to go nine and nine. Like, you're trying to go nine and nine. Like, and I'm like, nine and nine. And he's like, nine and nine. Nine and nine guarantees you in the NCAA tournament. All of it, that's all, it's all you're trying to get to. Um, and obviously you're trying to win the league, but I mean, it's just the, the environments, the level of the, the skill level, the talent. I mean, you can't explain it like it. And yeah, obviously you add the Houston's, the Cincinnati, UCF, BYU. I mean, you're adding teams that are all top 50 in the net. Like everyone's like, oh, UCF, like and they beat their, their wins are versus Kansas and Texas. Like, so it really puts everything into a humbling perspective because you never look for, I don't know who we play next week. You know, I won't say, I don't know who we play 
after this game, I know we got Kansas State and Kansas, but I have no idea who we play next week because you can't worry about that. Like, you're not worried about, hey, this team's beating that team. You're like, man, we got Kansas State. Like, that's all that matters. We got Kansas State coming up. We got to find a way to try to get them. Like, and you just know it's at home or on the road. That's it. Unbelievable. Does it ever, really, does it ever get like mentally exhausting for you? I understand the physical demands, but mm-hmm. for me, someone who has no skin in this game, who's not on the court, who's not given as much effort as you and the players. I look at schedules of the big 12 and I'm just yeah. like, man, this is exhausting. Like mentally, this is so exhausting. Does it ever get to that point? Yeah. I mean, we tell our guys all the time, embrace adversity because it's going to come like we're, you're not going undefeated in the big 12. No one is Kansas isn't you Houston isn't like, so before the, before the conference season, we talk about that. Like we talk about how we handle adversity, how we move forward from losses. You know, I think one of TJ's biggest things is the practice the day after the game will look the same, whether we win or lose, because we want to come in and continue to do the same thing. And we preach our daily habits will constantly be the same. So no, when we beat Houston, we came in the next day and had the same practices when we lost on the road at BYU. Like in that, that is a credit to our guys and the daily habits that we encompass will be like, hey, we're going to do this regardless. Because at some point, you're going to lose a couple in a row. And it may be three, it may be four, but then you got to be able to get that fifth one so you can knock it off and, you know, start on a winning streak. So, it's it's a gauntlet of a league like i mean it's you run into pros every night and you know the atmosphere the environments i mean we went to byu and i don't know man there's eighteen thousand people in there like oh this is real like this is real like this is just like going to allen Fieldhouse or going down to baylor or going to texas like so i mean it's it's just somewhere you got to come and play well and you know you give your best shot does it help you sleep a little bit better at night and you seem like a very modest and humble dude, but I'm here to tell you right now, Iowa State is one of those contributors as to why the Big 12 is so damn good. Like, it's not like yeah. you guys are just food. I mean, you are part of that vicious cycle of teams kind of cannibalizing each other. Does it help you understand or d- does it help you feel better when you're like, you know what? We got some dogs too. Like, people need to be scared about coming to Hilton too. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, going in when when Hilton is in the Big Twelve, you know that the lead play it's unreal. We I feel like we have the best fans in the Big Twelve, and um, you know you see it, you see it on you see it on the opposing team's faces when when we make a run or we started off. I thought that was a a really big piece of of helping us when we played Houston, like get off to a twelve year old start, and and they have to call a timeout, and you can't hear yourself, so you know they can't hear themselves, and um, it's to your advantage. So it's definitely an advantage playing at Hilton. And, um, you know, I feel like we, we have a group of, of young men that are, that are hungry and, you know, still feel like they have a lot to prove. Um, and I think that that's one of the most important things is continue to stay in that moment so that it's like, yeah, we, we're still going after everybody and we we hope that they come after us too. But, you know, we, we feel like, especially, you know, getting a win this Saturday without, um, you know, one of our better players and, and being on the road is, is something where we're like, hey, man, we, we're here and we want to prove to everybody that, that we're, we're going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. Absolutely. And so you mentioned a little bit about the newcomers who have played well. Like, that's another mm-hmm. thing. The newcomers aren't even food either. You mentioned what UCF yeah. did. Cincinnati's been giving teams hell the last few games. Mm-hmm. Uh, BYU's ranked. 
right? They shoot yeah. the leather off the ball, all of this stuff, right? Um, you got more teams coming in next year, by the way. <laughs> so the Big 12 has been a focal point, really, in a lot of this conference realignment, which is a greater conversation. Yeah. And isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing, JR, from where you were as a player, right, in 0405 oh, yeah. to where college is right now? Uh, can you talk a little bit about conference realignment and just your thoughts about being a yeah. player in the Big 12 and now logistics change, right? You're going to Utah now. You're going to go to Arizona. Yeah. You're you know, all of this stuff. You know, it, it's really when when it all kind of went down and, and you saw who we were adding and all that, you, you get excited because, you, you know, you lose Texas and Oklahoma um, and then you add it, you know, the Arizona, the Arizona State, Colorado, Utah um, programs that have historically continued to be good over the same year. So you're like, hey, it's just more opportunities for us because that's the only way you can look at it. If if you look at it like, hey, we got to play this team, then you're like, you're going to be looking at that for every game. So for us, it's more like, okay, great. Now we get a chance. It's going to be four more quad one games, like on the road, like you, that you get a chance to play. And, you know, it's it's really a luxury in this league because you even look at some of the leagues now, even some of the power five leagues, it's like, hey, I saw something on Twitter the other day. It's like Northwestern only has whatever, like, two more chances at a quad one opportunities. And I'm like, two more, like, we, we got 12 more, like, you know, so <laughs> you, you want to, you got to take those and you got to embrace them because obviously you're not going to win all of them, but you want to have those opportunities when it comes to February and March, when you're, you're finning the conference season to try to boost your resume. And I think adding those teams will only continue to do that. It's almost like if someone were to ask you, Hey, Jr., how many, uh, how many non Q1 wins or uh, Q1 opportunities you got? You know, I feel like here, here's the better question. Like the other way, yeah. everything that'd else be, is exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at our schedule right now, and I think uh, the the quad three game we have left is West Virginia at home, and they just beat Kansas. Like, you know, everything else is quad one, quad two, and it's like you just got to Kansas State. That's, that's what we got to get next. Yep. It's it's very impressive and and like I said, it, all I can think about is the word gauntlet. But Jr., I'll, yeah. I'll tell you this much, man. I, I think I let you know I'm an Arizona guy living here in Chicago. Yeah. So uh, speaking of the weather, I hope you guys get to go to Tucson and Phoenix yeah. uh, in like December, January. Man, we'll I'll make the that. return. We'll make the return trip like late February, early March. There days, you go. Okay? That's fine. That's fine. Right. Still, I'm driving out there for that. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. Um, so we talk a little bit about the Big 12 conference realignment, of course, but this team specifically, let me start with this program specifically. So mm -hmm. you came here and I alluded to this a little bit. You came here taking on a two win program, JR. Two wins prior to your arrival and Coach Otzelberger's arrival. Mm -hmm. Simply put, how did, how'd you turn it around? Take us back, what is it now, four years? Take us back to that time. Yep. You know, it it was – I remember the summer vividly because we talked about just preaching daily habits, like changing – everyone says the culture and everything, and, and we knew that that was a big thing, obviously, coming off a program that historically has been good. So TJ obviously had been a part of a lot of the, the NCAA tournaments and the good players that were there when he was an assistant here. 
Um, so he knew some of the blueprint and some of what we needed to do, but he had a plan in mind of, hey, we're going to, we practice every day at 7 a.m. Like we practice every day at 7 a.m. We get the guys in here. We were changing it that way. So I think you you kind of weed out some of the guys that you knew weren't all the way bought in because, oh, they're late or this is. So it's like, hey, those guys got to go too. Um, we brought in a ton of new guys. Uh, Isaiah Brockington was a guy that, that was one of our, you know, he ended up being first team all conference. He averaged nine points at Penn State, but he was a daily habits mentality guy. Gabe Kelcher, same thing. Rob Jones, who is the only guy that's been here through this whole program, um, is still with us. And, you know, Rob's the epitome of what Iowa State basketball is right now. Um, but the plan was come in, do the same thing every day, over and over and over again, constantly trying to enhance your daily habits, do that and, and do it to the highest level of your capabilities. And you know, continue to play to whoever strengths they were. Um, and, and we constantly just challenge these guys. And, man, we were believers. Um, season got off, and we went to uh, we went to, New to Brooklyn and played Xavier. They were ranked and played Memphis. They were ranked, and we beat both of them and ended up winning the championship, the preseason NIT. And all of a sudden, you could see it in our guys' eyes. They were kind of like, oh, man, like, this is real. Like this is this is something we got a chance to do, and uh, we started the season off thirteen and zero, and played Baylor. It was it, I remember we played Baylor first the first game of the Big Twelve at our place, and I think we were ranked maybe eight. Uh, we were ranked way too high. We weren't the eighth best team in the nation by not even close. Uh, it was like eight versus five. And and they came in and they smacked us. Like, I think they ended up winning by 10 or 12. And, you know, we were kind of like, yeah, that's pretty much pretty what it should have been. Um, and we ended up winning seven league games. And we were picked to finish dead last. And, you know, we sneak into the tournament. And we really limped into the tournament. I mean, we got beat by almost 40 to Texas Tech, who had McCuller and Terrence Shannon, um, all those dudes in the in the first round of the conference tournament and um we ended up getting an 11 seed and getting an lsu team who had just lost will wade and then we end up playing in milwaukee so tj and i were like oh this is perfect and we were playing wisconsin to go to the sweet 16 and it was funny because that year we had played so much better on the road and it was a road game like it was full like pfizer was full of it was 90% Wisconsin fans and you could just see it in our guys' eyes. Like they're like, Oh man, this is, this is better for us. Like, and play really well. Um, and we, I feel like we dominated that game versus the Badgers and, you know, we move on to the sweet 16 end up losing to Miami. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I think that that first year set the tone for what it was going to be. And, um, we were able to get a few more transfers with some, with some experience the next year, Jerry Holmes and, Oshun Oshuni and Gabe was back and last year it was be a sixth seed and um now it's about continuing to do that. And I think it's still the same thing. Like we still get our guys up early throughout the summer, seven AM, still get up early. We practice in the morning tomorrow, practice in the morning every day and continue to come in and get extra shots and watch extra film, do extra weight program because that's just the culture that we've established and we're not gonna deviate from what has happened to, to get us some success now. And I think that that's just who and what Iowa State is about right now. 
people throw around the term complete 180. This is about a complete 180 as you can get from two wins to go into the yeah. Sweet 16. Please be 100% serious with me, JR, in your wildest imagination, first stepping foot into Ames, taking over a two-win program. Did you really see this team at the end of the road being a Sweet 16 uh, type of team? And like I know you had mentioned that, that midseason tournament where you won and you started to believe, but like when you first got there, and then towards at the very end, and you're 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 packing your things up after the Miami loss, you had to feel some serious sense of pride. Yeah, I mean anybody that says that they even thought it was going to be a NCAA tournament team coming off two wins, I think would be lying to you. Now, you start to establish, you know, your mindset of like this is what we will do, um, this is how we're going to do it, and you put your mind to it, but. I mean, a team picked dead last. I had never been in the Big 12. Um, you know, you're talking about Kansas, Texas, uh, Baylor is coming off a national championship. Like, so no, but but I think as the as the year went on, um, especially after that, after that tournament in Brooklyn, you're kind of like, man, we got a chance. Like we really, we really defended. We had a couple wings that were good players. Tyrese Hunter was a freshman for us. Um, and, and he was special. So, you know, I think all, all of those pieces, when they kind of came together and everyone embraced and accepted their role, you're like, man, this, this team has a chance to make some noise. And I think the NCAA tournament's all about matchups. Like, you know, you got to get lucky and, um, you know, you can have an 11 seed that's better than a six, like, you know, and that, and that, that, that happened, that happened to us when we won and it happened to us the next year when we were a six seed and lose to an 11. So I think that that's what it's all about. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about this year's team now, because I know we got some clones fans out there listening to this that are very excited. They want to sink their teeth into uh, some of this year's team's content. And for some, you may have taken some folks by surprise. I, I, I wouldn't understand why that is, but you know, <laughs> You're just you're you're a basketball program now in Oxford. Not now, excuse me. I should rephrase that as to, to say like you were perennially a, a basketball program. Yeah. Like you're always going to be good. And yeah. TJ Otzelberger has done a wonderful job. But as it relates to this particular team, I want to talk personnel first. Taman Lipsy. Yeah. Can you help me better understand what you're seeing from your perspective about his growth in in the time that you've been with him? It, he the only way somebody asked me this the other day, and there's not a whole lot of words that describe the special young man off the court and on the court that he is. But if Taman's on the floor and we're doing a drill, his team never loses, never. So that's what he does as he is evolved into a more of a scorer. He's making more threes. Obviously, that was the knock on him last year. He didn't he didn't shoot it well, and he worked his butt off all summer. Um, but he's a kid that just – he has so much pride in being a Cyclone. Both his parents work at Iowa State. He grew up in Ames. He grew up coming to Hilton and watching, watching those teams play well. Um, and the amount of pride that he has in in being one of those next great players. Um, and you can see how he works – um, how he talks and communicates about about Iowa State, and he he embodies what it is to be Iowa State Cyclone, and he, he takes really pride in wearing Cyclones across his chest every day, and um, 
he's growing. He's growing as a leader. He's growing as a scorer. He's growing as a passer. He leads us in rebounding. He leads us in steals. Like, he, he does it all. Like, he does it all. I didn't know that he was a local kid and that he had that yeah. many connections to to Iowa State. That's that's pretty fascinating. Yep. Um, he, he's a special, a special kid. Yes, yes. So you referenced your defense earlier on in this episode, and I feel like you somehow got into my computer and you, you, you're seeing my notes here <laughs> because, quote, your defense has been incredible. I need to know how. I think that TCU game, so I'm looking at I'm looking at the score while also trying to catch all the games, and I saw that you forced 16 turnovers in the first half at one point. Did that number increase in the first half? What did it you got have to, to eight, eight? It got to 18 at halftime, 27 for the game. Golly. Um, yeah, I mean, we we take pride in playing harder than the other team uh, on the defensive end. So on defense, the, the word we like to use is dictate. Um, we want to make sure that, that we're disrupting everything. Um, there's a lot of great players, great coaches um, that are orchestrating offenses in this league, and you're not going to be able to stop them. But there's going to be times where we feel like we want to be disruptive. We want to try to take you out of what you're doing, um, and, and not necessarily with a whole bunch of schemes. More like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna play harder than you. We're gonna cut harder. We're gonna be more physical. Um, you know, we're gonna have confrontations at the rim. And, and TCU game, we were able to to do those things. And you know, fortunately for us, caught them a little bit off guard. I think with our physicality and um, that, that's something that we try to take pride in. The defensive identity has just been something else. I'm curious to know, JR, is this something that's implemented way back in the preseason? Or is this something where you and Coach Otzelberger and the rest of the staff kind of look at your, your finalized roster and you say, okay, what are some of these guys' strengths? And that should then translate to the team. Like, when does this, when does the emphasis on, being this great of a defense start yeah it's it's june guys guys get here and you know i don't think you know you you recruit to to what you want to have and how you would like to play but obviously some guys get here and they're better at some things than others and worse at some things than others but it's one of the non-negotiables uh for tj is like we're going to pressure the basketball um we're, we're going to be disruptive guys are going to defend and I think guys embody that. Like, I don't think I'm not a huge believer in like, hey, this guy can't guard that guy or this. Like, it's like, no, you can't. Defense is something that you have inside you where it's like, all right, I got some pride. Like, I mean, my feet may not be as quick as this guy, but there's angles to this. There's 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 certain ways to to play defense that are different than offense where it's like, man, if I can't shoot, like I'm probably not going to figure out how to shoot in a matter of a couple months. Like. I can defend in June and be a much better defender by the time we get to the season. And um, we just constantly are repping it out. Like we spent a lot of the summer working on our defense, like way more than our offense. And then now we kind of shift it um, as we get to the season, but it, it's, it's June guys get on campus that first, that first practice. I mean, it's, it's closeouts, it's defensive drills. It's, it's getting after it. Have you seen the ability to play defense I don't want to say decline, but change. And what I mean by that, JR, is in your day, 
it did feel like there were less foul calls. And if you can't understand what I'm doing right now, I'm just straight up blaming the refs for blowing their whistle way too damn often. Uh, yep. Is there an art to teaching defense in today's age as opposed to when you were playing? And I know I can already tell you're not on some like, you know, back in my day, you know, when I'm no. like on some old head stuff, right? Yeah. How do you teach defense today? You know, I think the one thing I will say is I totally agree with you. And sometimes in the Big 12, it's like playing football. Um, and they let you tackle and let you do all that. And it's a very physical league. But we we try to emphasize to our guys, like, we know at Iowa State that we are going to foul. Like, it's not – we're not a team that's like, hey, man, we're, we're trying to, you know, trying to be a perfect game. Like, we're going to foul. Like, we're going to foul. And, um, you know, I think we want to make the game as physical, as ugly, as dirty as possible. Um but we tell our guys, hey, we want to show our hands. Um, the rule changes this year with the block charge really affected us. Like we were a team that took a ton of charges off the basketball, um, trying to come over and help. And now that basically essentially is a block. Um, so we're teaching jump walls, you know, different different things where we can have a confrontation with our body and still be legal. Um, because like you said, there are a lot more files called. There's a lot, I feel like, like you know, a lot of more ticky-tack things that that when I was playing it was like man you just get through the screen and you can you can elbow the dude and you can you can basically punch the guy who's setting the screen and you just kind of get through it and dudes would set illegal screens with their knees out and just kind of got to get over it. you had to find a way to get over it and now there's there's so much more going on in the game the, the game has evolved so much offensively where there's so much more spacing and all that stuff where you know, when I was playing, it was everyone had a four and a five and they're both on the block. Like there's no space to go anywhere. And now it's like the four man shoot and the five man shoots. And, um, you know, so there's so much more space on the floor. But, you know, we 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 preach it. Physicality. Um, that was a big word. And we went down to TCU. We just kept saying, hey, we just need to be physical, 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 physical. Like, and, you know, try to get guys to respond to that. Well, I think to your point about the offense evolving, you see that certainly in the college game, but it's never been more evident than in the NBA. And nothing yeah. grinds my gears more than when I hear people say they don't play defense in the NBA. I'm like, yeah. I think the perfect encapsulation was that Clippers uh, Warrior series, Pat Bev and Lou Williams. Mm -hmm. They were at yeah. the, they were talking about guarding Kevin Durant. It's like, I tried, man. Like, yeah, that's like, Kevin freaking Durant. And there's a lot crazy. of those guys. Yeah, I mean, it, I I love watching the NBA more for the offensive perspective because you're watching guys and it's a 6-7 it's a guy that's shooting over a 6-8 guy and they make the shots look so easy that people are like, oh, they don't guard anybody. I'm like, hey, man, like that dude's actually taller with a longer wingspan. He's just a better offensive player. Like he just knew exactly what spot he wanted to get to. He faded at a different angle and and made the shot. Like, and those guys, like, they make it look so easy. It's like, hey, we should just run that set. Like, yeah. well, yeah, you better have Devin Booker or Kevin Durant or somebody making a shot. One last story I got to tell Isaiah Wilkins. I was talking to him, who is a tremendous mm -hmm. player at Virginia, defensive player, and he was telling a story about locking up Jason Tatum in the first half, and then Tatum just <laughs> saw Tatum in the second half, and it's like, it's not fair. Like, he's just, yeah. it's Jason Tatum, man. There's nothing you can do, man. Like there's, it, it just, 
you feel like that sometimes in the Big 12, and then they take it to a whole nother level where it's just like, man, it's just this guy's 6'10", and he plays like a 6'3 guard, and he can make every shot in the book. Yeah. Uh, okay, I am going to rein myself back and get refocused on this Iowa State uh, team. Uh, JR, what is this team's identity? What's this brand? Like, I see the Nike swoosh logo. I think sports. I see the Apple logo. I think technology. What is the brand and identity of this year's Cyclone team? Um, You know, I think our identity would be a combination of toughness and unity. Um, You know, I think this is a team that is willing to grit it out, but it's a group that's – this group is more connected on and off the court than any group that we've had so far. And that's not to slight those other teams, but it, it's not even the on the court thing. It's it's what they do off the court. It's how they hang out, how they communicate with each other. And I think that helps you get through adverse times. Um, on the court, I think this is a tough group, a, a group that's willing to grit it out, um, a group that's trying, is willing to win a game scoring 90 or win a game beating Houston scoring 57. And, you know, kind of has a balance of both where we know our identity can come from the defensive end, but a little bit different than years past where we, we got some guys that can fill it up and got a little bit of skill on the offensive end that we can we can run with some other teams. So I think we have a good balance, but but the unity that comes that that comes together with this group, I think, is one of the biggest factors that can help us be successful, hopefully down the stretch here. You've been here four years. You've seen the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows. Things change, but things also stay consistent. Can you give me a better understanding of what has stayed consistent at the program? Mantra, uh, identity, anything like that. What has stayed consistent over the four years during your time? And what are some things that you've noticed to change? I mean, our daily habits to stay consistent, um, how we do things. Uh, we tell our guys what we will do. That's the vocabulary that we use. Um, we don't talk about this guy could be this, this guy could be that, this this scout could be it's Hey, this is what we will do. We try to focus on Iowa State. We try to focus on our guys and how we can make them successful. That's something that has not changed, will not change. Um, and the daily habits, how we go out, how we work the time that we work, the time that we put in, those are all things that say that stay the same. Um, and, and we practice consistency in that manner. Um, you know, some things that have changed, you know, I think we've gone uh, the first year, you know, it was all defense, defense, defense. And then basically Brockington was going to take the shot at the end and uh, kind of get the rebound if, if we didn't go in. And, um even last year, a little bit of that with Kelsher and Jaron Holmes. And then you know, I think now we're, we're trying to flow into a more balance of defense and offense. Um, our, our, our defense has, has still been pretty good. And, you know, offensively, I think we've shown, you know, adding, um, you know, Milan and, and Kurt Jones, guys that can make shots, Keyshawn Gilbert, somebody that can play downhill along with Taman, um, adding some some roster personnel that can – equate to the defense and, and and add it to the offensive end too. I think that's one of the biggest changes, but how we operate, how we, how we practice, you know, how we speak to our guys has been all the same. And that's, that's basically the daily habits that we preach every day. It's a formula that's been working now for, for four years. So I wouldn't divert from it. I can't imagine yeah. you will. 
But yeah, wouldn't divert uh, from that. All right, Jared, let's have some fun. All right, I'm yes, uh, I'm gonna get you out of here on some some fun questions. Correct. What's what's TJ Otzelberger like off the court? Take us behind the curtain. Uh, he, he's he's chill. Um, man, it, it's funny. I think a lot of people see him. He's like this tough, like mean, and and he's super chill. Like um, he's got three kids, three little kids that are all the same age as my kids. Um, drinks a lot of energy drinks. Uh, he's, he's, he's chill, but he's hype at the same time. Um, but man, good dude, easy to work for, like super laid back, um, family guy, you know, so it's, it's somebody that's, that's been a, a huge mentor for me. And as I go through this coaching thing. Now, look, I'm no fashion model, but I'd be remiss if I didn't get an Iowa State guy on here to say that those are some tight shirts Coach Otts wears <laughs> during yeah, game man. day. Hey man, he, him and I were, we work out in the morning. Um, so, you know, he, he's constantly, he's getting his muscles right. So he, he, we're on, we're on ESPN a lot. And he's like, he's like, Hey man, I gotta make sure I look right. You alluded to this earlier, playing Wisconsin in Milwaukee. Was there any added juice for you? Like the, the, the home state team? I know it's Marquette's there, but Wisconsin is a Badger state. If I were to guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. Any additional juice no, for you there? That that was probably the most fun game that I've been a part of. Um, the you know just being being able to win that game and our small contingent of of Iowa State and, and Milwaukee fans that were there to go to the Sweet Sixteen, someplace I had never been, um, to do it in a in my home state, ten minutes from my house, like that. That was it was it was amazing. Something I'll never forget. Back to your Loyola Chicago days. Did you ever meet Sister Jean? Oh yeah, Sister Jean gave she she gave a pregame speech before every home game, every okay. home game. I mean, she knew stats like, hey, Gordon Haywood is you know he's missed his last six threes, and um, Sheldon Mack is this, and Norris Cole. You know, you can go under the ball screen on Norris Cole. Like he's not going to shoot it. Like I mean, she. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she's not. Yes, she's growing a little bit older here. She's she's still she's still there and kicking. But um, yeah, it was it was an intense scouting report that was mixed into a prayer. Uh, so yeah, I, all the stuff that happened when when they went to the Final Four, people were like, "Is this real?" Like, is it? I'm like, "This is real." Like, she this is who she is. Like, this is not a this is not a facade. Like, this is this is real life. Real ball knower, huh? I mean, she handicapped Butler pretty perfectly there, just huh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's impressive. Uh, we've talked about the changes in the college basketball landscape. We talk about defense and how it's changed. We talk about uh, how you apply your experience in recruiting. One big change since you were playing and where we are now is NIL. So let's do a little hypothetical. You're at Loyola yep. Chicago today. You have any choice of nil you want what's the business what is the nil man who are you who are you who are you promoting is there a local business in chicago that you loved man that's tough i'm kind of like a like a fashion guy so to say like so if i could do something i think i would go like some designer like i think i would go like gucci or louis or something so that i could walk into the games like Oh man, like oh he's got that on. I'm like yeah, this is actually free. Like this is my NIL deal. Like so, I think I would use something where I could benefit from it. Um, 
in that way or either some kind of food, you know, something where I was constantly just getting free food because that's always something you need as a college kid. Yeah. Isn't it funny? Uh, I follow these, these team accounts and it's like flicks from the runway. I'm like, man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what were you showing That's, up in the game? How were you that, showing yeah, up? I was like, I was like, man, that it's funny. Cause like, you do see that. Like we go from our pregame meal over to Hilton. I'm like, why are these guys dressed up? Like, I am like, this is crazy. Like I was just having whatever sweatsuit we were given. I'm like, I'm wear that from my dorm. Man, these dudes got jeans on. They got graphic tees. Like they got designer stuff on. They got nice shoes. I'm like, oh, this is for those. Oh, okay, like I got y'all. Like, and then you see him posted after the game. You're like, oh, that's why he was dressed up. So now he had 20 points and he looked good before and after the game. So you know, it's probably up in his followers. Hey man, look good, feel good. It's a real thing. That's a hey, that's a real thing. I'm not hating. Uh, <laughs> I believe it. Um, you. TJ Otzelberger, Milwaukee guys, Iowa State. There is another Iowa State guy in the NBA from Milwaukee, I believe, uh, who's doing all right. He's pretty good. How cool is it to see Tyrese Halliburton uh, representing Iowa State the way he has been? Yeah, man, Tyrese has been great. He actually was just out. um, They played the Jazz, and he came to our BYU game and talked to the guys uh, after the game. Like he, he's been great for our guys. Like he's around in the summer a ton. Um, Obviously, an incredible success story, and somebody who is representing the state of Wisconsin. And um, but you know, somebody who I mean, I was at Drake when he was coming out of high school. And I remember having him on a visit at Drake and he was going to Drake and you and I, and everyone was like, okay, yeah, he'd probably be a decent Valley player. And I mean, the guy goes to Iowa state and plays on the USA team. And, you know, he's going to be an all-star again this year. He's, he's continuing to ascend and, you know, it's awesome for, for what he's doing, but also for it, the recognition that he's given Iowa state. And he continues to, to constantly shout us out and help the program as much as he can. How cool is it for the players to get addressed by Tyrese Halliburton? Yeah, you know, it's almost like he, he's around, I would say, three or four times in the summer, you know, oh, wow. where, where now they just see him where it's just, like, hey, what's up, bro? Like, you know, it's not – they're not starstruck, I don't think, anymore. I think initially you're like, wow, it's Tyrese. And then now it's like, well, that's the 10th time I've met him. Like, you know, and, and he's super – laid back like humble dude and he you know he talked to our guys after we lost at BYU and he's like look I was in this league like you're gonna have these nights and then you guys need to go win at TCU and then you you, you'll have some more adversity and then you need to win the next one he's like I know exactly how you guys feel and you know you play 30 games and you feel like you know every time you lose one it's the end of the world but it's not like he's like you have another opportunity and um I thought that was a great message that he gave our guys and obviously yeah, we'll credit him for the win at TCU. He told us to, to bounce back. I think that's a wonderful message, especially because, and I'm not part of the media. I just enjoy doing this, but I'm not going to sit here and say I'm college basketball media. But what I see is a team will lose two straight, and it's like, oh, is it time to panic? Is it time to hit the panic button? Or a team will win two straight, and it's like, oh, man, are they Final Four bound? Oh, my God. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're talking about college kids here in yeah. January. Like we got some time now, of course there's behaviors and things that you can identify that could be troubling or 
uh, mm-hmm. are good for the future. But man, I'm glad yeah. he let them know. And that's that's anything in life, right? Like that for is. 18, 19 year old kids, when you're down on your luck or you you think something's bad, like you got that tunnel vision, open it up to the greater picture. I think that's really cool, and I appreciate you letting us know that Tyrese came through. No, no uh, it's, it's been good. Why is Hilton Magic real? Whew, man, I've had a lot of great experiences. It's just, it's almost like you start off with a 10-point lead. I think that'd be how I describe it. Um, you know, it's funny. I remember the first time our, our our newer guys really experienced it, you know, and it's every game, but the sellouts are a little bit different. It was when we played Iowa this year. And I was shooting with Taman uh, before the game and Keyshawn Gilbert walked out and the whole student section was already filled. And this was two hours before the game. And he goes, oh, this is real. Like, and he just kind of sat down and looked up at it. And I was like, yeah. And then Taman was like, yeah, dude, like, this is this is real. Like, this is what it is. And um, I don't know, man, it's just something that happens. It, ha- it happens in there. You know, guys make timely shots. You know, the ball bounces the right way, and it turns out like it looks like it's going to be a turnover, and it ends up being a dunk for you, or it ends up being a three-point shot, or you know, you you get you get the the crowd into the game early, and they're constantly just having your back, and it's fourteen thousand five hundred people just all all rooting for you. It's almost like they help all go in a little bit. So, you know, it's it's something special, and I. We'll see it on. We'll see it on Wednesday. We need. We need every every little bit of luck and help we can get. Yeah, I've I've got to be watching. It is a special atmosphere. Like I said, I will be there. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to rile up and be a jerk. You know, an obnoxious fan. But I I just, you know, I I want to check it out. I want to as a college yeah, basketball fan. I need to to take a look at it. Hey, so we've talked a lot about your tremendous growth and what you've accomplished on the sideline as a player, all of the folks that you've crossed paths with and all the players that you've impacted on the court. A lot of this is obviously on the court stuff, Uh, but JR, it is very impressive your philanthropic work. And I think we need to carve out time for you to explain and give us insight and detail regarding uh, the together initiative that took mm-hmm. place, I think in, at Colorado state. So can yeah. you tell us a little bit more about that and give us a better understanding? Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously it was, it was during the time of, of some racial injustices that were going on, I was specifically the George Floyd incident in, in Minneapolis. And, you know, it, it was really a time of education, um, you know, and I felt myself along with some other of my administration and coworkers we, we just wanted to kind of incorporate everybody and you know i think there was a lot of different narratives going around about this and this or this person feels that or these this this group feels that and it was something where we were all able to come together um during covid so it was over zoom but we read a, a couple books you know each there's about five books that you had a choice to read from and just coming together and really asking questions and, and everyone having an open dialogue and not a closed mind of, I don't want to ask this question because they may feel this way, or I don't want to say this and make that person. And I thought the biggest thing was people coming together and, and everyone sharing their opinions on a, a totally neutral slate. Um, 
you know, I think our, our team got involved and we made T-shirts. And, and that next season we had, you know, Black Lives Matter shirts and everything like that. And all that's great. But I thought, you know, the biggest thing with the Together Initiative was coming able to be able to educate everyone and everyone here and everyone else's perspective, not just because I'm an African-American and this happened to an African-American. So I know exactly what's right. It was everyone saying, okay, this is how I feel. Okay. Hey, can you tell me why you feel that way? Um, and, and just having that conversation and, and building relationships that you say, okay, like now I know why you feel that way, or now I understand that. And I may or may not agree. That's fine. Like, but, but coming together and having those conversations. And I think that that was really important and an integral part of the Together Initiative. I think that's incredible. I think that's very neat of you to share and for you to get off the ground as well. Uh, maybe I, I need to do more research. Have you done anything or pursued anything like that in, uh, in Ames there at Iowa State? Any plans for any additional philanthropic work? Uh, curious to know. Yeah, when, when I first got here, um, Daniel Robinson, who's a head coach at Cleveland State now, and our director of basketball operations, Micah Byers, were leading a, a group called BACA, uh, Black Assistant Coaches. Um, and for that first couple of years, we kind of organized some Zooms and talked about that. And it was it was inclusive of all the assistant coaches in the Big 12, not just African-Americans, but um, just continuing to try to, to educate, try to learn more, try to do things. Um, you know, rallies, Juneteenth rallies we did and different things like that. And um, but, you know, just continue to promote, you know, social equality, um, not necessarily a race thing, doesn't have to be black, white, brown, whatever. It, it, it's just you're just trying to promote equality and make sure that everyone's educated um, in the right sense so that people can ask the right questions and, and get to know everyone and everyone can just be treated equally. Yeah. Well, look, I think almost any staff would or should have a guy like you, not only for what you're able to contribute on the court, but certainly what you're able to do off the court as well. JR, I really appreciate, appreciate the it. time. I'm going to get you out of here on this. It's my last question I ask all of my guests. It's called Bring Them Up on Stage. Okay. Is there anyone that you would recommend me reach out to or that you can refer me to that? you think would enjoy coming onto the program and sharing some stories as you've been so kind to do and would allow me to pester them. Like I did this past week with you. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with, um, probably my best friend in the business, uh, assistant coach of Colorado state, Ali for Um, you know, he's was a good player at Northern Iowa made the shot versus Kansas. So and every time during the NCAA tournament starts, I, I just start harassing him like, hey, man, like you're going to be famous again for another five days. Uh, but he's great friend, somebody I really rely on, uh, talking numerous times throughout the week. Um, we're ranked one spot ahead of them today, so I'll have to give him <laughs> some shit about that. Um, but uh, he, he's he's a great basketball mind, but even better person father um we were both at drake together we lived on the same block and uh colorado state man we, we were kicking it all the time so that that's my guy i would definitely recommend him and he'll have longer stories telling you about how great his shot was and all that stuff man there i i, I i'm already envisioning it like 
I don't know how much we talk about Colorado State. I'd just be talking about that shot, like Brady Morningstar. I think the Morris Twins yep. were on the Kansas. Like yep. I was home from break, and I think I was eating dinner, and I was like, "What the hell is he doing shooting this?" Yeah, like, yeah, that's it's a crazy deal. But um, he'll he'll also tell you that he made a, he made a game winning shot the day the game before that versus UNLV that nobody talks about. Like he'll act like it's not a big deal, but that was, that one was like just the same shot. Like he just didn't get as much coverage because they went to the number one team in the country at the time, but um, he could still really shoot it. And, you know, we were, we were a pretty good two on two tandem at, at Colorado state because he can shoot and I can guard and um, he can't guard and I can't shoot. So we had, a, <laughs> we had a good, we had a good balance, uh, but we were good. And that, that's my boy. You know, if we're lucky enough to get him on, I will be playing that clip where you say yeah. he can't guard. So I'll, let me make sure I, I get that right. But oh, he knows it. <laughs> Jared Blount, this was tremendous. Thank you so much. I might pester you just a little bit more to get in touch with Ali there. Oh, yeah. So we I can. Uh, I appreciate it. This was a blast, man. Thank you so much. Best of luck moving forward in that gauntlet. But uh, we will yeah. be watching. And I know you guys are going to continue to make some noise. Thank you again. Thank you. appreciate you. Okay. I want to thank JR again for jumping onto the program and sharing his story, his trajectory, sharing what makes Iowa State and specifically their defense so impactful and effective. Uh, TJ Otzelberger, I'm glad we got a little peek behind the curtain there. It really is awesome, Taylor, what they've been able to do since that two-win season from Steve Prom. Like the, the first, I think, the most poignant and biggest thing I took from that interview was the first season that they came to Ames after that two win season, they went to the sweet 16. Everyone picked them dead last, but they win the first round game. And then they got to go to Milwaukee in Wisconsin's back. I mean, it was a home game for Wisconsin, bit of a homecoming for TJ and also Jr. And they end up winning that game. And we've seen this Iowa state team now get back to yeah, they're a tournament team pretty much every single year. It was that and obviously understanding what it's like to play in the Big 12. So shout out to JR. Really appreciate him jumping on. Had a lot of fun. As you guys discussed, you know, with their conference in, in the Big 12 and, you know, a lot of the teams that you have to play in that conference, right? They got a big one coming up on Saturday. Speaking of games that are coming up on Saturday, that's hosting Kansas. It doesn't get much bigger than that in the Big 12. As we're recording, they got Kansas State, uh, so we'll see how they do. Best of luck. But I mean, you heard what he said, Taylor. He basically was like, as when I asked him about the Big Twelve scheduling, he's just, I just know if it's home or away. All I'm focused on is Kansas State. He's like, I know we got Kansas on Saturday, but I don't know what's happening. He's like, I genuinely don't know what's after that. He's like, I just got to take it game by game, and I just know if it's home or away. Hey, I you know staying between the lines. I like it. Not looking not not looking too far ahead. That's some of the markings of a great uh, assistant right there. Can you tell us some of the markings of a great handicapper? Because that's what you are right now, Taylor. All right, my man over here sitting at what are we at, Taylor? We are sitting at sixteen, fourteen, and three on the year. Let's recap the last time you gave us some winners. It was a week ago, I believe. So you got. You picked South Florida and Memphis. You picked Memphis minus 13. That missed. Probably should have. Losers. <laughs> Losers. I mean, what a collapse. Memphis was that up was. 20 points. I, it was one of those games because I wasn't watching that game. I, I just kept refreshing on, on um, 
the game cast yeah, yeah. or um you know or my betting app we won't say their name because they're not paying us um but they're lime green and black in colors anyway uh kept refreshing that app as well and i looked at that i was like oh they're up 20 great <laughs> good good bet taylor man you're a genius we're gonna go three and zero again this week and then we didn't tough i'm sorry it was there but memphis has obviously struggled it's been a bad week for memphis uh, this last week, they lost to Tulane on the road. As I'm so well. out. I'm I'm out on them. Last week, I told you how be. I could be in on them. I'm completely out after blowing a 20 point lead to lose, not only to just not cover, but blowing a 20 point lead to lose is like um, awful, <laughs> awful. Right? Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Like they they were ranked 10 coming into last last week, and now the discussion is, do they even have a tournament resume? I mean, that's it's crazy what two losses like that can do to you. But Memphis uh, minus thirteen did not hit. The other two did though. Illinois minus two and a half against Michigan, a Michigan team that has straight up quit. We actually saw that most recently against Purdue, where I think they got bodied by forty or so. Uh, but Illinois covered that line pretty easily. I think they won by fifteen. Keep me honest there. And then you took Utah minus fifteen against Oregon State. It's not that Oregon State has quit; they just stink. And are They're not bad. good whatsoever. They're terrible, which is what you said. And Utah minus fifteen cleared pretty easily. Uh, so you were two and one last week. Again, giving you a year record of sixteen, fourteen, and three. I think we got four or five winning weeks in a row, or segment, or not weeks, but shows in a row. Um, that's pretty good. So uh, you're going to make some money that way. So let's make some more. I'd say. So we're going to kind of going a little bit different trend this week than maybe what we've been following last couple of weeks. We've been betting on a lot of home underdogs, right? Today we're going to bet or, to, you know, today with games tonight, we're going to bet on a lot of home favorites. In fact, we're betting on three home favorites. So we'll see how that goes. Let's start off with St. Peter's. So if I told you, I can't deny it. I may blank rider yeah f and rider yeah. yeah we're betting against rider we're going with oh okay with old saint pete's there the peacocks are seven point favorites at home against the five and 13 rider broncos um so a little mac on... a little mac <laughs> hey, hey there you go you gotta love the mac you know, I, I was rolling with Ryder. I don't want to say riding with Ryder because that's too much, but I was rolling with Ryder earlier this year. Um, they, they covered a few games that I bet on them, but then now now that conference play has started, or, you know, end through December, they didn't end the year very well. Now the conference play has started. You know, they're just clearly not as good as St. Pete's there. So we're rolling with St. Pete's uh, minus seven on that one, the old Peacocks. Of course, we all have a sweet spot in our heart, a, a soft spot for, for St. Peter's there, but you got to sometimes look past that in the betting world. This one, we're not. From there, we're going to go with Western Kentucky, home favorites by six and a half over FIU. The Panthers, again, not a good basketball team. They're, that's just, there's no real way around that. They can't really rebound the ball very well, um, which is a big key here. And I just, you know, Western Kentucky, uh, a, a team that's 13 and six on the year. They always seem to be good. Um, they always seem to be a, a, a team that you like to bet on. So we're going to roll with Western Kentucky at home again by six and a half. And then we're going to end the night with a team that we just discussed a little bit. Um, and that's Oregon against ASU. ASU has come back down to earth. 
specifically as we kind of predicted on this program and as we predicted on this program a week ago, we said the Pac-12 standings were going to be completely different after this weekend. And that, I think, almost hit with 100% success rate. If you would have bet on the team that you think was better than the team that they were playing in the Pac-12, despite what the record said, they won. And that's exactly where we're at in the Pac-12 standings now. A team like Arizona went from tied for fifth or some something stupid like that to first place because all the teams that were kind of fraud good ended up losing, like ASU. So Oregon, a team that's not fraudulent, in my opinion, but a team that did lose uh, a couple games last week, we're going to have them bouncing back against ASU as they're favored at home by eight and a half. So that's Oregon, eight and a half. That's Western Kentucky, six and a half. And that's St. Peter's, seven. We will be tuned in. I like that. Spraying it around the country and amongst uh, the conferences as well. I think this might be your first MAAC pick with Ryder and St. Pete, uh, at least on this program. Uh, FIU well, Western well, Kentucky, FIU. I don't know if I've seen FIU on here either. I, I mean, know you're not going with them, but it's just funny. I mean, yeah, this is these bets, let's just say, are like the 10% of bets I'm putting in on college basketball per day. Right. So I think, I don't know if I should wear this as a badge of honor, but there's definitely not a single season where I don't bet for or against a given team at any given time. I and probably have involved all 365. Uh, college basketball teams at some point throughout the year. So, yeah, these are the ones I just feel, I guess, the best about. Not that that really means anything ever, but yeah, that's how we go about choosing these picks. Makes sense. Let's move on now to not so mid. Taylor, get on out of here on some segments. Who is your nominee for not so mid this week? So we brought them up earlier, and this is not the exact reason that we started the segment not so mid, but just work with me here. DePaul looking for a new head coach so they can become not so mid, right? So they've been awful. And the reason I'm bringing him up though, is they're let's say reported. I mean, DePaul is known as a basketball school. I don't know if they've really ever been all that good, but they are known as a basketball school. And certainly they're half a mile from Subi there in Chicago. So major city, major recruiting situation. And honestly, a bigger name school, been the same size school if it was in some random city in the Midwest just because it's in Chicago. But some of the people they're talking about interviewing are Bobby Hurley, are Bryce Drew, are people of, uh, I think, um, who else was Wade? Uh, Will Wade. Baby. Will Wade on that list. Yep. That'd yep. Be awesome. So, I mean, it's probably a school that could become much better than they are. I'm not talking about national championship or Loyola, Chicago, going to a Final Four type of deal. But they certainly, given their location, can become a much better school than they are now at basketball. And so my not-so-mid is that their coaches that they're going after are certainly coaches that are going to elevate them from a not-so-mid level, considering that all the coaches that they're currently considering are high-major or have been high-major D1 coaches. Successful coaches at that, too, right? Like Will Wade is doing an awesome job at McNeese State, and say whatever you want about Bobby Hurley, but at ASU, he's actually been pretty successful relative to the program's expectations, right? Um, but you're right, Taylor. DePaul is not impossible. It is a challenge. Mm -hmm. The biggest challenge being in the Big East, but you're in a prime recruiting spot. And, and you know, you're 
you're going up against other good coaches, but you have a, a, basically a fresh canvas. It's not impossible is what I would say. Um, as opposed to some other programs where I think it's just, you're, you're signing your life away essentially. So we'll see what happens with the DePaul search. And I should apologize because obviously like DePaul's in the big East, which is not a mid-major conference, but I think you could probably ask 98% of people <laughs> who, even if they watch college basketball, be like, Hey, is, do you think DePaul, is DePaul in a major conference? <laughs> and they'd be like, no. Yeah. So I'm just throwing that out there. They kind of act like a mid-major school pretty much in terms of their success. Yeah. I know that they're not. So I do apologize for breaking the rules on this one, but it just feels right for this situation that, we can, you know. We can bend the rules. That's okay. We can bend Thank the you. rules for this one. Thank you. Thank you. I am going to be a rule follower though and go with PJ Hayes as my not so mid i doubt anyone listening to this knows who pj hayes is so let me enlighten you folks pj hayes is a senior for san diego and i'm ripping this directly from our good friend rocco miller's tweet when i saw this i was i was pretty impressed so pj hayes is a senior for san diego he spent his first three years at d2 black hills state his career high there was 26 pj hayes then went into Portland and he broke the USD school record with nine threes, nine threes. And he finished with 33 San Diego won for the first time on the road, 85 to 81, Mr. Hayes, take a bow. I think these stories are awesome. Pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, D two black Hill state three years, there, transfers up to division one and somehow eclipses his career high, but, the way he did it, the fashion in which he did it, not only on the road, but also by just being an absolute marksman from three, nine triples and elevating San Diego for the first win on the road. I think all of that makes it very impressive and should be shouted out and should be recognized. So PJ Hayes, not so mid whatsoever. Well done, young man. Taylor, let's move on now to lane violation. What's getting you angry? Let's talk about the University of Texas <laughs> and the way that they have this complex against everyone who talks badly about them, especially if you take their sign and turn it upside down. Did you see what uh, what Ronnie Terry said about uh, the horns down this week? Of course. Dude, I think that was, yeah, of course. What is Texas fans problem with this? I don't I don't get it. Like, I mean, I know that you don't want other teams to do this. So the story is Roddy Terry confronted UCF players in the handshake line for doing the horns down sign. Well, you don't have a sign if you don't want it to be mocked, right? And then B, if you don't want your sign mocked, just win the game right like mm -hmm. tech uh who brought it up um i know a head coach this week brought up that like texas their anthem their school song has ou sucks in the song like yeah. so who are you to sit up on this high horse of saying that like oh we can make fun of you but you can't make fun of us that's what we hate generally about all these big time institutions right like the dukes like the 
like the Texas is like whatever, like, oh, they can give it out, but they can never, they can never take it. So yeah, my lane violation is that I don't know why. I mean, I understand the why is it's because you don't want people making fun of you. Right. But I mean, remember when the big 12 like outlawed teams from doing it in football years ago, that was the biggest bullshit of all time. Like there aren't other schools with signs. So that's clearly this does actually piss me off when when this discussion comes up so that's my lane violation for the week it's so easy to answer those questions when you're a rodney terry or a duke player like kyle filipowski after blake henson and pitt jumped on the scorer's table it's so easy to just say if we didn't want them to do it we shouldn't have let them win you can say we don't like it you can say i didn't like that blake henson did that i didn't like that ucf did the horns down but if we wanted them to stop doing that or not do it at all, we should have just won. And that that is a totally acceptable, mature, and and good response. That I think that's how you should respond. Because I have a feeling Rodney Terry and and Filipowski and Duke, like when they're saying, no, we didn't like it, without the caveat of we should have beat them if we didn't want that. If they just say we didn't like it, it was disrespectful. I feel like part of that is either them just being crybabies or it's them saying, I got to adhere to my base and I want our fans to know that, no, this disrespect, win or lose, won't be tolerated. And I would say to that, if you have fans that are saying, I wish Kyle Filipowski or Rodney Terry would would come out and say, we hate that, and which is what they did. I don't want those fans in my corner. Those are corny, corny fans. Those are loser. Those fans are the ones that are like, class, you need to have class. He's classy. You know how much I hate when class and sports mix. No, I love what Blake Henson did. I loved what UCF did. And I don't know what the schedule is, but if if Texas plays UCF again, they should taunt them. If Duke plays Pitt again, they should taunt them. And if it's not in the regular season, go do it in your conference tournaments. So it's very easy to have a mature response, which is we didn't like it, but we should have won and you know we, we can't do it. Uh, we didn't do that. So that's on us. And then just move forward. You don't have to appease to the base because that base is a bunch of losers in my eyes. I love it. And so, of course, Texas bounced back and beat uh, Baylor and Oklahoma uh, since this happened. So, you know, clearly it didn't affect your psyche too much here. But um, the thing is, for me, where I would separate it is like, I'm kind of cool with players who are 19 years old, maybe not saying everything perfectly in the media as it relates to stuff, especially post game. So I could see, you know, I, I, I still don't agree with it, but I I get it, right? If you're Rodney Terry, you're like 55, 60 years old, man. Like, why are you yelling at 19-year-olds on the court who just play? Like, that's the other thing. Coach K used to do this all the time. He used to piss me off, too. We're like, who do you think that you are that you can just be, like, telling another team's players what they should be doing? Like, just shut the fuck up. (laughs) You know, this is not your role at all here, in my opinion. I'll tell you what, though. Coach K may have been cooking with Dylan Brooks. We've seen Dylan Brooks bite off a little <laughs> yeah, bit more okay, than he can okay. chew in the NBA. But I see exactly what, what you're saying there. So uh, I guess we'll see how, how this happens. And also UCF, they followed that game up with like a 9-10% shooting first half against <laughs> against Houston. So I don't know. Texas is laughing now. And that's what you got to do. Just take it, get better, and move on. Right? right. You should just, be in the top 25 now. You're just fine. Just like you said, hey, we hate this. We feel like 
it goes, you know, it's they're they're making fun of us or whatever, but we're just going to use that as motivation to the next time. Not, oh, no, like, I can't believe they're making fun of us. Like, come on, like, let's be adults here. Exactly. My lane violation is going to stay in that conference. I'm going to go with Oklahoma State, Taylor. Okay. They are winless in the Big 12. They are 8 and 11. They just lost to TCU, which isn't shameful. TCU is a good squad. But again, 8 and 11 and have not won a conference game for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's a proud program. They are a basketball school, I would say. Uh, Eddie Sutton, right? You got Keaton Page. You got Marcus Smart, Desmond Mason. A lot of really good players that have gone through Oklahoma State. John Lucas, okay? The lane violation here, Taylor, is your main rival, Oklahoma, went to a Final Four. They did a rebuild, and now they're pretty darn good again. So you missed on your opportunity, Oklahoma State, to take over the state. And it's been a few years now, Mike Boynton. And so like I said, Oklahoma has been to a Final Four with, with Kruger. And then they bring in Porter Moser, who had to rebuild and retool the roster. And they're a top 15 team, top 20 team now. And they're going back to the NCAA tournament. Meanwhile, Oklahoma State, Cry to the NCAA as much as you want. You got banned from the NCAA tournament. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but all they've been doing is crying. They've been crying about the Jayhawks not getting penalized, but they're but they're penalized. You had a you had a great player in Cade Cunningham, all right, but they weren't some world beaters with Cade. Um, the point that I'm making, Taylor, is there's this window that Oklahoma State missed. And they're bad again. They're not very good. They just lost the Boone brothers who were over at UNLV. And I'll talk about UNLV in just a second. But Oklahoma State, it's just kind of staggering to see them be bad for like four straight years now, it seems. Three or four straight years. All right. So all I've heard is belly aching out of Stillwater. Meanwhile, Oklahoma has picked themselves up by the bootstraps and they're good again. So major lane violation for the entire basketball program at Oklahoma state. The fans absolutely deserve better. Gallagher Ivo wasn't, wasn't on full tilt for a top 20 team coming to town. Like we've seen it before. I don't know. Oklahoma state's just been very off putting the last few years. And and that's why they're my lane violation for this week. So I'm going to dance around this as carefully as possible. Right. So in today's world to not offend anybody, don't worry. It's not a horn. It's not as bad as a horns down. So don't worry. It's not that bad. But, um, you know, in today's NIL world, you would think that a team like Oklahoma state, given everything we've seen from them in their past would be, um, you know, really at the forefront of this. Well, unfortunately T Boone Pickens who, um, funded essentially their entire school, entire athletic program, passed away about four years ago i'm not trying to die i'm not trying to tie these two things together but in an nil world if t boone pickens was still around or if this would have come about 10 years ago i can't imagine that guy wouldn't have been shelling out tens of millions of dollars a year to whatever the uh, players this uh the school wanted so uh, maybe it could be an nil thing could be a coaching situation could be an NCA violation situation, could be a number of these things contributing to this, but it is very strange. Oklahoma State, I've always been kind of like a sneaky Oklahoma State, not supporter, but I've always liked them just because they were the anti-establishment of like Kansas as it relates to basketball, and then like Oklahoma and Texas as it relates to football. They're they literal cowboys, at, yeah. And they were good enough to beat all of those teams on a, I don't know if regular basis, but a not 
uncommon basis, they would at least beat those teams in football or basketball one each per year. So for them to be bad, um, you know, isn't ideal. Now, if you ask me in five months or six months, if I think that if my preference would be for them to be bad or good, I'd probably say I hope they're bad. But now today, <laughs> as a member of a Pac-12 school, uh, yeah, it's too bad that they're they're not that good. Yeah, they're just been they've just been disappointing. Hey, by the way, breaking news: Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan. He is going to be coaching the Chargers. Wow, back just to Cali- back to California. Yeah, and he's that successful. Right as right, we had one day of the college football uh, coaching carousel that stopped, yeah. and player carousel. Now a whole a whole bunch of other stuffs about to hit the fan now. Yeah, we'll see who goes to Michigan. I suppose who knows. I don't know how much longer get Jawan Howard over to the football team. He might be able to give them a spark and replace him on the basketball Jed, team. Jed fish to Michigan. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Could be. Uh, let's get on out of here with an easy layup. Taylor, what do you got? My easy layup is college basketball entertainment. And let me tell you what I mean by that specifically. Mm. Okay. A school we've talked about a handful of times on this program not being able to decide if they're good or if they're awful. And that's FAU. Okay. FAU just did, just accomplished an incredible achievement in college basketball. Let's call it the college basketball cycle, right? They have a quad one win and a quad one loss, a quad two win and a quad two loss, a quad three win and a quad three loss, a quad four win and a quad four loss. They also have a home win, a road win, and a neutral court win, as well as a home loss, a road loss, and a neutral court loss. That's impressive. And as wow. as, as someone who's just here as it relates to FAU specifically, is here just for entertainment purposes outside of the one game they played against our alma mater, I couldn't ask for more from an entertainment perspective and every single FAU game essentially is just a complete crapshoot. So that's for me and, and you people who, you know, are just looking for college basketball entertainment, not necessarily caring about where it comes from. Like that's pretty ideal right there. Any game for FAU, literally any game. And I say literally, like, cause it's actually literally any game could be a winner loss for FAU. That's entertainment. And I like entertainment. I like that call out. It's it's a true, genuine coin toss whenever the Owls take the court. Uh, my easy layup, Taylor, is Bo Becker. All right. Another name you guys probably don't know about, but Bo Becker plays for Air Force. And I was up late a couple nights ago watching Air Force UNLV. I told you I'd reference UNLV. Uh, you want to talk about you don't know what you're going to get? UNLV's lost to Southern. They beat Creighton. They've beat New Mexico. And now they just got washed at home by air force. Okay. They almost beat Utah state. So UNLV is also they're nine and nine, very up and down, but this is about Bo Becker, my easy layup for air force. All right. He went four or six from three a couple of nights ago. He poured in 14 points. This was all in a span of a few minutes or so, or the first half of the first half. All right. His stat line was 14 points. He had four fouls and one assist. Four of six, four of six from three in 19 minutes. So the easy layup is that he played the second half. I'm I don't think he got injured or anything like that. He didn't do anything in the second half. He did everything in the first half in that short span. And I love that about a guy. This is basically not procrastinating. 
Okay. Like when you have a big trip coming up on Friday, that's when you're leaving. What I like to do, Taylor, and I have, I don't have a baby introduced this into this, right. Which makes things a lot difficult. But when you know that you want to leave at 8am on Friday, what I tell my wife is I want to shower and walk out the door, put the car into drive and we're out. Like, I don't want to be packing bags, any of that stuff. This man, that's what Bo Becker did. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he vacuumed, he swiffered, he packed his bags, he got the house ready. So by Thursday, Friday, he was done. And it's just so funny that he did all, I'm telling you, like if you go to the box score, Taylor, in the first half section, type in, do like a command F for Bo Becker's name. He shows up 10, 10 or 11 times. You do it in the second half, twice for two fouls. That's it. Bo Becker, man, providing an absolute spark, 14 points, four or six from three, all within a condensed time frame. And then he just said, we're good. We're up like 20. I don't think I need to contribute anymore. You're a hero, Bo Becker. Good for you. You know, as a man of convenience, that's, I. you know, I like that. Get it all done in a quick and timely manner. Let's be done with it and move on. Let's go have a beer. Let's hang out. Let's relax. Let's not let this go throughout the day. So I like that. You know, got in there, got his numbers, did everything he needed to do. Said, listen, guys, I've done all I can do. Take it from here. Also, glad you called out UNLV on this because they were like 16 or 17 point favorites in this game too. Awful. Like they were a lot. They were, I, as, as, at least as far as I remember, because clearly I'd bet on UNLV and not on Air Force in this situation. So yeah. speaking of teams with awful, just awful losses, that was another one. They lost by 32 at home. I mean, what do you what do you make of this? I don't I as, don't know what to make of it. As they, so, that means they lost the spread by like 48. Like, <laughs> that, that's ridiculous. I uh, I've I have no clue, but shout out to you, uh, Bo Becker, for getting it done and not procrastinating. That's a life lesson to all you young folks out there. Wanna get on out of here though, Taylor. Let's thank one more time though, J.R. Blount for jumping onto the program. We had a lot of fun. Very grateful for him to spend some time wishing him the best of luck moving forward in the Big 12 regular season, Big 12 tournament, and hopefully greater things beyond. Thank you again to J.R. Blount and thank you as always for listening. We will catch you next time here on Theater in College Hoops. <laughs>